listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. Um, I do want to invite you uh, to open up your Bibles with me to Psalm 1. And the reason why we are in Psalm 1, well, there's many reasons, um, but Psalm 1 was uh, very uh, instrumental um, in the planting of Twin Villages Church. It became um, our, our theme, I can't say theme verse, right, but it became our theme psalm. And so even if you look at our logo, there's a, there's a tree with a root system that's all based upon a Psalm 1. And as much as it helped us, and I, and I believe there was even, like, the core team was encouraged to memorize Psalm 1, so I'm going to just tell you right now, maybe a good New Year's resolution for 2024 would be to memorize Psalm 1. It's only six verses. Um, so it just helps us think through part of the reason why we are here, why God and His grace and mercy uh, planted this church, because we didn't do it. God did this work um, in and through us, and we're thankful for that. So as much as Psalm 1 applied to the early years of Twin Villages Church, Psalm 1 still applies to these years. And as we think about coming out of 2023 and into 2024, I thought it would be helpful to, to preach a sermon on Psalm 1. I don't think I ever did it here, um, and I don't know, I don't know why. Um, but here we are. So um, before we get there, though, what I want to do is I want us to, to think through um, the Psalms, all right? And so if we think about just, for, and bear with me, right, if we think about the structure of our Bible, um, it is different than, our English translations are structured differently than the Hebrew Bible. All right, so we think about the structure of the Hebrew Bible, all right, there are basically five sections in the Hebrew Bible. There are three narrative sections, and there are two commentary sections. Right, in these narrative sections, like we spent time in Genesis. Genesis is a narrative book. It's telling a story. And so those narrative sections tell us about God establishing uh, his people. We looked at that with, with Abraham. And then how he entered into a covenant relationship with his people, but then we hear, we read about the history of the nation of Israel and how they failed to uphold their end, their side of the covenants. We read about their, their exile. We read about how God was going to preserve a remnant and he promised restoration. That is all in the narrative sections of the Old Testament. But then there are two commentary sections, if you will. And those are, the, those are primarily the prophets. Right? And what the prophets tell us is they give a commentary on the rebellion of Israel, their unfaithfulness to the covenant that God had established with them. The prophets tell us why the history of the nation went the way it did um, and how their sin fits in with the overall scope and plan of God's story of redemption. But within that commentary section, you have books like Psalms. And what Psalms does, a broad brushstroke of what Psalms is seeking to accomplish, is, is it helps bring clarity to those who were hoping in God's messianic kingdom how they were supposed to live their lives. In spite of the, the hardships of life, the realities of living in a broken world, in a sin 
cursed worlds. In fact, the Psalms start out with a lot of laments and end with more praise. And so the book of Psalms is trying to push our hope forwards. It's to nurture our hope in the future fulfillment of God's promises. Now, we know that all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. So ultimately, the Psalms are pointing us to, to Jesus. One of the themes in the book of Psalms is, is this anointed one of God, this, this Messiah. And he is the principal figure in the book of Psalms. And ultimately, we know that the anointed one of God is Jesus. Now, the book of Psalms is divided into five books. The first book... Um, is what we'll be in. We'll be in the opening chapter of the first book, Psalm 1. And what Psalm 1 seeks to do, it is a, it is a wisdom psalm, and so it's going to focus on um, God's words, celebrating God's words, and speaking to the different ways one can live their lives. And there's really only two ways, either the godly or righteous way or an evil and, and wicked way. So let me read for us Psalm 1. I'd ask you to please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. I hope that that gave you a little bit of a framework to understand why we are where we are this morning. After I read, I will pray for us and we will have fun this morning in, in God's words. The psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers." The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to gather here as your church Lord, I pray now that you would give us um, not just ears to hear and not just hearts or minds to understand, but hearts to be moved um, by your words. Lord, that we would remember as your son Jesus prayed that your word is truth and that you would sanctify us in your truth. Lord, that we would remember what the prophet Isaiah wrote about your word not returning void and accomplishing exactly what you set it out to do. So I pray that you would give us open ears and open minds and open hearts this morning as we hear from your word this morning, that we would be challenged, we'd be encouraged, and that we would be changed because of this time. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So we'll, we'll tackle this in, in three sections. Right? We do have note takers here that get stressed out if I don't talk about this. Um, the first three verses is going to talk about the righteous. Verses four and five are going to talk about the wicked. And verse 6 is kind of this emphatic kind of summary of, of Psalm 1. So we'll tackle them 
tackled this time in those three categories. But right out of the gates, um, as you were listening and maybe as you were following along in your Bibles, we read, blessed is the man, right? And that should grab our attention because I don't believe that there's anyone sitting in this room or perhaps listening online or some, some who may listen later on this week, or for that matter, I don't believe there's anyone alive on earth today that does not want to be blessed, that does not want to have a sense of favor and privilege and, and happiness and, and joy in their lives. So when we hear those first four words, blessed is the man, our ears should perk up because we, we want that. Right? We don't want to be left hanging, so to speak. We want to be blessed. But the, the blessedness that Psalm 1 talks about is, is different than the blessedness that the world has to offer. It is not about money, power, prestige, notoriety, fame, respect, ease of life. You see, the blessedness that Psalm 1 talks about is so far beyond that and, and so much greater than what the world has to offer because it is God-given. It is that sense of security and peace and contentment and comfort that we can have as God's children because He has given it to us. He has provided it to us. It is from Him. And as you would expect, it is grounded in the gospel. If by God's grace we've been saved by Him, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, if we understand that God has met our deepest and most desperate need through the gospel of Jesus, and it is only in Jesus that true and ultimate blessing, blessedness can be obtained, it changes the way we live our life. We are blessed because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning or if you're listening online, I want you to know something, that everyone sitting in this room, myself included, are in process. We're seeking to grow in our walk with the Lord. We're seeking to understand better what it means to be blessed by Him through Jesus. We're seeking to understand how powerful and impactful the gospel is truly is. We're, we're, we're learning to be gripped more and more by the gospel, that the gospel saves us, that the gospel sustains us, and the gospel carries us through to the end. And we know that, that through the gospel, we are truly blessed, and we're all working on that and walking that road together. And we want you to join us in that journey. And Psalm 1 is talking about a righteous man, a, a righteous man who is, is blessed, and so the psalm is going to answer for us in the last part of verse 1 and verse 2 what, what this blessedness means. What do we need to do? How, how does this practically play out in our, in our lives? And, and it, the psalmist tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Right? There, there's... 
there's three actions there. There's, there's walking, and then there's standing, and then there's sitting. And then there's three descriptions of people, wicked, sinners, and scoffers. And those three actions, the, the, the walking and the standing and the sitting, represent lifestyle, represent a behavior. And, and it moves from casual association to complete identification. And so I think we need to unpack this this morning, each of them individually. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. A righteous person does not allow the counsel or the advice from from wicked people to influence them, to to, to determine their behavior. They're, They're not interested in following the advice of the wicked. They don't want them to to help them think through life and frame how they're supposed to live their lives. Now, the Bible defines wicked people this way. There are people that have just this blatant disregard for what God's Word has to say. Um, Wicked people enjoy and promote evil and sin. The wicked are described as being deceitful. The wicked are described as being slanderers. That's all from Psalm 50, by the way. And so to a certain extent, the the wicked, um, if we bring that now to 2023, almost 2024, um, it's like this practical atheism, right, where there's just this complete disregard for anything of God's. They don't accept it, they don't reject it, because they don't believe that there is a God. This is a person who is proud and who is arrogant. They're unbelievably man-centered and me-focused. And they believe that it's man's way is the true way to live. And so if we think for just a moment and we look at our culture, we see that. That man's way is the best way, and they would say that man's way is the only way. It's also what's been labeled functional liberalism. And I believe this is probably a little bit more insidious. Because what that means is that someone who who lives like this will tell you that they believe God's, and will tell you that they believe God's words. But their interpretation of God's words and their experience supersedes what God's word has to say. Right? That's, that's evil. Because they're going to tell you that they believe it. But then they're going to say, yeah, but... How I believe the, what, the, what I believe the Bible really is saying here, and what my experience tells me is this, and so whatever I think actually supersedes or trumps what the Bible has to, to say. Do not walk in the counsel of that. The blessed man or the righteous man does not stand in the way of sinners. Uh, he, the righteous man is, is going to be very careful to not put himself in places or in situations where the way of a sinner may overtake him. 
He's not going to put himself in a spot where he can be tempted to, to sin or to fall into sin. Now, if we think about the Old Testament here briefly, how many times did God command Israel to not associate with the pagan nations around them? Right? That, that was part of the, part of the covenant. Like you, you, you're a separate people. You're to be a light to those people, but do not associate, do not intermingle with them, do not intermarry with them, do not enter into agreements with them. Well, why did God have that in place? Well, because God knew that Israel would become like the nations around them, and so what happened? Well, Israel wasn't faithful to the covenant, and so they became like the nations around them, which led to judgment and led to, to exile. That's part of the narrative of the Old Testament, and the prophets speak to that narrative. But if we fast forward now to the New Testament, and specifically to the life and ministry of Jesus, and we think about one of the main issues that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes had with Jesus was that he associated with sinners, right? He, he, he talked to them, he walked with them, he healed them, I mean, he actually touched them, he sat in their homes, he had meals with them. That was a major issue. But what we need to remember is that Jesus changed the game, so to speak. That he came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a, a ransom for many. And that he commands us to go and make disciples of all nations. He changed the script. And so as Christians, we are called to engage with non-believers. We are called to reach out and to serve them and to point them to, to Christ. But, but the warning of, of Psalm 1 still, still rings true. We are to be careful that we do not put ourselves in situations where sin could, could overtake us. So, so that, takes, that takes discernment, and it will look different for, for different people. You see, because there are times when um, you or, or I might not be the best person to talk to somebody or to get involved in something because of the potential for us to fall into sin. But there will be somebody else better suited for, for that task. And that's one of the reasons why we need one another. That's one of the reasons why we need to be known by one another. That's why we, we do life with one another. So, so we are known and we, we know others that we can come alongside and love and support and encourage, and that we can serve most effectively because we know how we are and what our gifts are. The psalmist says that the righteous does not sit in the seat of scoffers, and a righteous person is not going to identify with the sinful plans and behavior and lifestyles 
of the scoffer. Now, it's, it's plural. It's scoffers. So the implication there is that you're, you become part of a group. You become, you become part of a company of an assembly of, of scoffers. And if you run that out, it means eventually you will become like one of them. And the Bible describes a scoffer as someone who's arrogant, someone who, who loves conflict, someone who's very outspoken about rejecting God's word, his wisdom, his correction, his plans. You do not want to sit in the seat with scoffers. You don't want to be identified with the, the scoffers. And, and we see this progression, right, of walking and then standing and then sitting. That this casual walking can seem innocent enough, but then pretty soon you may find yourself standing and deliberately putting yourself in places where you know that sin may, may overtake you. You, you've dropped your guards. And then if you're not careful, soon you'll be sitting. You'll be identified with, with the sin. And, and a righteous person, Psalm 1 tells us, does not do those, those things. And so for us, it's a call to, to look at our lives. There's a progression of sin from walking to standing and to sitting. You see, when we don't take our sins seriously, we will find ourselves in trouble, right? When we don't take our sins seriously, we become casual towards our sin. It's not that big of a deal. Right? And then pretty soon, that, that sin takes a little bit more of a root, and we, we find ourselves putting, well, sometimes we don't even notice we do this, that's why we need one another, Pretty soon we're, we're putting ourselves in, in, in harm's way. It's not that it's just not a big deal. The sin's not a big deal. But now we kind of almost cozy up to it. We get to this point where we, are, we almost just willfully just are ignoring the warnings that God puts before us, whether through His Word or through one another. And then if we're not careful, that sin becomes just a normal part of our everyday life. It just becomes habitual sin. And so Psalm 1 is a warning for us to, to think about our lives and to think about your sin. As I was talking, did a specific sin come to mind? Probably. Now, the reason why I, I say that is because as I was studying and praying and preparing this message, specific sin came to my mind in my own life. I want to encourage you, deal with the sin. If God brings that to mind, that's out of love and care and it's part of His mercy and grace towards you, deal with the sin. See, no sin is beyond the reach of the gospel. So we can have confidence in approaching the throne of grace. 
we can have confidence in bringing that and confessing that sin to, to the Lord's. Because we know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The psalmist goes on in verse 3 and talks about these now two positive things that the the righteous actually does. And in, in a certain way, they're all positive, right? But a righteous person delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. You see, delighting in the law of the Lord is not just reading it. Okay, now I understand like that for some of you, right, 2024 is going to be the year that you finish your Bible reading plan, right? You fell off the wagon in March of last year, aren't you going to, you're going to, man, you're going to white knuckle it and we're going to get through it this year. But I want to encourage you to do your Bible reading plan. But don't make it a check-the-box time. That's what it means to delight in the law of the Lord, is that as you read it and as it penetrates into your your heart, you see the beauty of the Word of God, that you, you want to apply it to your life. You're looking for ways like, how can I take this and use this today? And not, maybe not just today, maybe for the, like, for the rest of 2024, I, I need to work on this. That's delighting in the law of the Lord. And, and this is to happen day and night. Right? And so that takes a lot of discipline. Right? And it doesn't mean you're supposed to sit on your couch all day and all night and read your Bible. But it means as you spend time with the Lord and as you're reading His words... Right? That that word is kind of percolating in the back of your mind and as you are going throughout your day, you just see how the, what you read that morning applies to your life that day and in that moment when you're standing in the self-checkout line at Walmart, pulling your hair out. That in spite of the busyness of life, you see how God's word applies to your life and it just becomes just part of who you are and just oozes out of you. That's delighting in the law of the Lord, and that's meditating on it day and night. And the psalmist says that he's he's like a tree. This righteous man will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he he prospers. You see, as, as as you're... in God's Word, as you're delighting and you're meditating on God's Word, as you're, as you're avoiding sin in, in the ways of the wicked, as you're on guard, in, in doing that, right, you will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruits, that has leaves that don't wither, that is prosperous. You're, you're living the way that God's called you to live. And that word planted, by the way, let's linger there for a moment. This is fantastic. Carries with it a sense of being transplanted. And so it, it, it's that you, you've been transplanted, that this tree's been transplanted by streams of water, by an irrigation system that means you're always, the tree's always going to have water. That's why it yields its fruit in its season. That's why its leaf does not wither. 
that that tree that's been transplanted by that irrigation system is able to come over the dry seasons of, of life. And it will still have water to, to nourish it. It will be sustained. And you see, it has nothing to do with the tree's natural ability, but it has everything to do with the fact that it's been transplanted in that spot. You let that sink in for a moment. You're like a tree transplanted by streams of water. God transplanted you by streams. It's the gospel, is it not? That God in His grace and in His mercy took you out of sin and, and saved you and transplanted you by streams of water, living water. And because He's done that work in you, you have life and you can bear fruit and you will prosper, right? That is God's grace for us. That in the midst of life's challenges, in the midst of the, of the trials and the suffering and the struggles of this life, which are very real, which the Psalms never sugarcoat, because God in His grace and in His mercy has transplanted you, you will have peace and contentment. You will have nourishment. You will live because of what God has done for you. And for us, it's what God has done for us through Christ. And Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the, to the full. So a righteous person is, is like a tree that God has transplanted next to this deep, rich, full water supply. And it develops this root system that is strong, and therefore, it has leaves and it bears fruit. It's a beautiful picture of God's mercy and God's grace in our lives. And we, we push that forward to what He has done for us in Christ and how He has transplanted us through His grace and through His mercy. But now in verses 4 and 5, there's this, there's, there's this other side and it's the wicked's. And the wicked are not like the righteous. The wicked are not so, literally not so the wicked, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. It's fascinating just how different the psalmist paints this picture for us. I mean... Chaff, like dust stuff, right? The, the unusual part of, of the grain that was harvested. They would throw the grain in the air and the wind would drive the chaff away and the grain would fall into the threshing room floor. It's the chaff that's blown away. I mean, it, it's the opposite of, of being well-rooted and, and, and healthy or, or productive, the psalmist doesn't describe the wicked as like a, a dying tree or a, a, a fruitless tree or even a, a dead tree. There's no, nothing tree about it. They're chaff. They're light 
they're useless, and they have very little substance or very little value. Man, that's harsh. That's what God's Word has to say. That the wicked have, have no support. The wicked have, have no foundation. Now, they believe that they do. But in the end, they don't. And they'll be driven off like the wind. They're worthless for, for the purpose for which God had created man, right? To, to be in relationship with God and, and to glorify Him. And they're doing the polar opposite of, of that. They won't stand in the judgment. When, when life happens, when, when trials come, when they stand before God, their true character will be revealed. And they, they will not find any, any, any way to be justified because it was all on, on them and we can only be justified through, through Christ. Any attempt that they make to, to defend themselves will, will fail. And they will find themselves ultimately separated from God for, for all of eternity. It's a staggering, staggering comparison. In their pride and in their arrogance, they live for themselves. And they can't participate in the congregation of the righteous who are pursuing holiness and who are pursuing things of, of God and who are for one another and are seeking to please God in all that they say and all that they, they do. Now, if we think about church for just a moment, or church is, churches contain a mix of both Christians and, and non-Christians. Congregations are, are mixed. That means that this congregation um, is, is mixed. Now, that, that's a good thing, by the way, um, because what that allows us to see, what that gives us is a front row seat to the power and the work of the gospel. In in our lives, because we need it each and every day of, of our lives, but in the lives of our community, in the lives of, of one another. That's one reason why the gospel must be proclaimed. That's one reason why you, you'll, you'll hear the gospel proclaimed by God's grace each and every Sunday here. Because we're called to live in light of the gospel, we're called to be gripped by the gospel. We're called to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We, we never graduate from the gospel. And as we grow in our walk with the Lord, as we gain a, a better understanding, a more complete understanding of the, of the power and the beauty of the gospel, we will see how desperate we are for the gospel in our everyday lives, how desperate we are for, for Jesus. And we're going to want to share that with, with one another and encourage one another. But we're also going to want to share that with others. Right? Those who may not know Jesus and may not know who he is. Right? Because we want them to have that same blessedness that we have because of Jesus. We want them to have that same thing in their own lives. 
That means we're, we're going to be more transparent. We're going to be more real. It's going to strengthen us as a church family. And it's going to strengthen us as we move out into our communities and to share Jesus with one another and with others. That's what we're, we're called to do. Right? It's, it's, a, it's an awkward comparison at times, but the reality is there are the righteous and there are, are the wicked. And we're called to bring the gospel. We're called to share the gospel with one another and encourage one another and strengthen one another. But we're called to share it with the worlds. Whether that means Damariscotta, Newcastle, Nobleboro, Bremen, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Romania, wherever. We're called to be about the gospel because the gospel is what transforms and changes lives. And we want others to have and experience that transformation that only comes from the gospel. And then the psalmist closes with verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Man, what a, what a, what a statement to, to end with. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. God is constantly looking and seeing. You can't hide from him. He doesn't miss anything. He's, he's seeing the behavior and the lifestyle of, of the righteous, those who, who are seeking to live out their lives in accordance to what he has called them to, to be and what he's called them to do. He's strengthening them for that walk. He's protecting them along the way as they walk through this life. That's what God does for, for, for the righteous. Isn't that fascinating to think about? When you're sitting and you're grumping because life can't get any worse than it is right now, God sees it and knows it, and he's there to encourage you and to help you through it. That's grace. That's mercy. That's the peace that we need that can only come from, from our God. But the way of the wicked will perish choices that they make, the lifestyle that they choose, the decisions that they make, that sinful, rebellious behavior, that thumbing their nose at God's leads to destruction. But God in His grace has given us the gospel to share with them, to come alongside and to by His grace, keep them off of that path of, of destruction. We're called to be faithful in sowing the gospel. God is the one who brings the harvest. You see, the psalm creates tension. Right? It, it challenges us. It almost forces us to honestly look at our lives. Where are you in your relationship with, with God? Right? And, it's, and it's a personal evaluation because the righteous have a way and the, and the wicked have a way. Well, which way are you traveling? Are you living in the light of the gospel? Are you, are you gripped by the beauty and the power of the gospel? Are, are you pursuing holiness? Or, or are you perhaps comfortable in your sin? 
have you, have you, are you walking, but you know you're only a few steps from standing? And as you stand there, you're going to soon find yourself sitting. And as we understand that about ourselves, that should compel us to be for one another and to be for, for others in proclaiming the beauty and the power of the, the gospel. Because as we come to understand that the righteousness that we have is because of Christ, when we come to understand that the blessedness that we have is because of Christ, we talk about it. We talk about Him. We share Him with one another. We share Him with others. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And He's promised to keep those who, who follow Him. You see, the, the man, the righteous man described in Psalm 1, ultimately is Jesus. He perfectly followed the will of God. He was perfectly righteous. He never walked in the counsel of the wicked. He never stood in the way of sinners. He never, his, he never sat in the seat of scoffers. His delight was in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditated day and night. And God in his grace through Christ has transplanted us by streams of water. So we can better understand how blessed we truly are in Christ and how much the world needs Jesus and to be faithful stewards of the gospel for one another and for others. Because it's only in Christ that we are truly, truly blessed. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your words. I thank you for the beauty of the gospel, the power of the gospel. Lord, and how in your grace and in your mercy, out of love for us, you saved us. And you've transplanted us. You've given us life. You've given us abundant life. Lord, it's my prayer that we would never take that for granted, that we would understand and see and be challenged each and every day of our lives, that you give us breath on this side of heaven, Lord, to see just how blessed we truly are in Christ to the extent that we just can't help but talk about it to one another and to those that we encounter Monday through Saturday. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful stewards of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to, to rest in the gospel. But Lord, that you would call us to work in the gospel as well. That we would be faithful in pointing others to your one and only son, Jesus, who saved us from our sins who restored our relationship with you and who has given us eternal life. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church 
Dammer Scott in Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you.